Sweet. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us uh, on, this, on this Thursday night here at USC. Um, in case you don't know me, my name is, is Ian, and I'm on staff here with, with Christian Challenge. Um, this semester, we've been looking at the topic of what it means to live a life of worship. Uh, and we have sort of defined that as a life which is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed by uh, what we say and how we act. And for this series, um, we've been looking at a passage written by the Apostle Paul to the Church of Rome. Uh, and this Paul, this was the same Paul that at one time murdered hundreds of Christians, but after a radical encounter that he had with the resurrected Christ, he was transformed and became one of the most influential missionaries in the history of the church. So that Paul, he writes to us in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so far in this series, we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about how living a life of worship relates to our purpose, how it relates to our thoughts, our values, how it relates to how we sing at services, uh, how it relates to our relationships and to our words. Um, but today we're going to talk about how living a life of worship relates to our decision making. I'm not sure about you guys, but when I look back and think, what are some of the biggest decisions I've made in this biggest seasons of decision making. I think back to college applications. Who here remembers college application season? And who here thought that was a fun time? Yeah, no one. One person, Jack. Wow, good job, Jack. Um, yeah, that was, that was not a fun time. That was so stressful and full of, full of anxiety. Um, and, and I'm not sure about you guys, but when I came into high school, I pretty much was clueless about colleges. You know, I didn't have, um, I didn't have those parents that were full, filled with school spirit and they were slowly brainwashing me from birth to, you know, love the same college that they went to like I'm going to do to my kids. Um, I didn't have, fight on, um, <laughs> nor did I have siblings who were older than me to watch them go through the college application process. In fact, I didn't even watch college sports. I think when I came in as a freshman, I, I probably couldn't even name 10 different colleges. I think it's funny. I remember growing up, this is probably a Northern California thing, um, but for some of you, you may be able to relate to a different school, but I feel like growing up, whether it was high school, middle school, or elementary school, there was always somebody with a cow sweatshirt on, like all the time. Like somebody, somebody had a cow sweatshirt on, and, and, I, and so that was something I knew. I knew, I knew about cow, and, and I heard people talk about cow. I remember thinking, you know, it, it was always good things. You know, they're great academics, they're great sports, all this stuff. So I was like, okay, cool, cow, good school. But at the same time, I also heard people talk about Berkeley. <laughs> and it, it wasn't as good as the stuff about Cal. You know, they called it berserkly. They said that's where smart people go and get brainwashed and become weird. And I knew, I was like, okay, Cal, that sounds like Berkeley. I don't, I don't want to go to Berkeley. And actually, I remember I had an argument with somebody. I think I was a freshman in sophomore high school that Berkeley was not the same thing as Cal. <laughs> I, th I, I, literally, I thought there was a, the University of California. Like, like that, that was it. And that was Cal. And I'll, I'll, I'll spare you the details, but um, I was wrong. Uh, they're, they're the same school. So that's, um, that's a little bit about how cool I was. And I remember at the time when I was you know, a freshman, sophomore, people started asking me, what school are you going to go to? What are you going to study? 
And, and I, you know, I had some ideas of what I was going to study, you know, architecture, engineering, music, those were kind of the things that would, that would pop around in my head, but I really had no idea where I wanted to go to school. And, and I felt this, this pressure and this weight from, from my peers around me, from the adults around me, from everyone, that I, I need to have a decision. I need to know what I have to do. Um, and I remember, I think this was um, in eighth grade, it was either middle school or early high school, my parents and I, we took a trip down to Southern California. And on the way down or the way up, we stopped in San Luis Obispo. And while we are in San Luis Obispo, we stopped at Cal Poly. And I think my mom was starting to sprinkle these ideas into me of, you're going to go to college. Um, <laughs> and you're going to study something. Um, and so we, we toured the campus, and I th thought, I was, wow, this is a beautiful campus. There's, there's mountains in every direction that I look. And right over the mountains is the beach. You know, we went to, went to the little town and walked around, and had dinner and it was so fun. I remember thinking, wow, I could, I could see myself on a Friday night walking around this street with my, with my college friends. And it'd be a blast. Um, and at, at that point, I started to think, you know what, maybe, you know, it just, it just felt right. And I was like, maybe Cal Poly is, is the place for me. I started to be, consider myself, you know, a Cal Poly person. And I, I think really what sealed the deal for me was when I got a sweatshirt. That was a Cal Poly sweatshirt. Now, this was a very very comfortable sweatshirt. I wore it all the time. I, I loved the colors, and the, the colors were good. Um, and that, that sealed the deal. I was, I was a Cal, Cal Poly person. But you know, the, the closer and closer that I got to making the decision, the older I got, the more I began to think, you know what? I really don't know where I want to go. I'm really not sure. And it wasn't until I sat down and asked myself the questions, you know, what is important? What am I going to prioritize? I started to ask the question, you know, what, what do I think I am made to do? You know, what am I good at? What gets me excited? And a lot of those things I didn't even understand until I started to ask people who were older than me. I started to talk to my parents, talk to existing students at these schools, talk to counselors, talk to anyone older and wiser than I was. And then to throw more things in the mix, when I was a senior in high school, I decided I wanted to become a Christian. And I started to pray that God would grow, but wherever I would go to school, that God would grow me the most. That he would put me in the college where... I would grow the most. I didn't know why I prayed that, <laughs> but I did. Um, and it was at that time, after I sat down and thought through those things, that I realized that USC is, is the place for me. That USC was my dream school, is where I wanted to go. And slowly and surely, the, the worry and the anxiety that I had placed on myself began to feel lifted. I began to have a confidence over my decision because I was convinced that this is where I was meant to be. And at that time, I started wearing the Cal Poly sweatshirt a little bit less. And actually, my very kind mom went out and ordered me a USC sweatshirt. <laughs> and I started to wear that all the time. <laughs> and you know, it's a, it's a funny story looking back on it. Um, but it's interesting to look at the decision-making process that, that I went through. And because it started off very rough. Because initially, I really wanted to make this decision because... I felt this pressure from the people around me. You know, and that's a, that's a bad place to start. If I'm like, I should make a decision so I feel less pressure from my peers. You know, that's not a good place uh, to start. And after that, I started to go through, you know, this, this, this feels right. You know, this is, I walked around campus, you know, I didn't know anything about their programs, about their academics, about, you know, whatever. But it just, it, you know, it felt right. I liked the colors, the sweatshirt, you know, it was good. Um, and it wasn't until I sat down and looked at what is important. What am I going to prioritize? And I didn't even realize that until I talked to people who were a couple steps further along the way than me, people who were smarter than me and wiser than me. So I even knew what to consider in my decisions. 
And then ultimately, I began to talk to God. And I began to seek his will for my life. And what does he want for me? And that resulted in having the peace and confidence that I was head, headed where I was meant to be, where God wanted me to be. In 2019, therapist Tess Brigham found herself overwhelmed with millennial patients. About 90% of her clients were between the ages of 23 and 38, and the other 10% were their parents. And she found a pattern of, uh, of the concerns that were brought to her from them. Here's three of the most common. I'm worried. I'll never make enough money to retire. I feel like a failure. I don't know if I'm setting up my adult life the right way. And I know I'm not speaking to the audience of millennials. Um, and so I'm going to do what the university tells me not to do. I'm going to modify these quotes. <laughs> and I'm going to make them a little more, a little more college, a more relatable. So if you look at the first one, I'm worried. I won't get an internship. So I won't get a good job. And I'll never make enough money to retire. If you can look at the second one, I feel like a failure because I'm constantly comparing myself to everyone around me. Okay, if you can look at the second one, round two, I feel like a failure because I can't live up to my parents' expectations. And lastly, I don't know if I'm studying the right major to set up my adult life the right way. Okay, you can relate to any of these, right? Probably most of you. Um, and the, you know, the millennial generation, they, they're, they're known for having some of the highest stress levels of any generation before them. And my prediction is that they're going to hand that title down <laughs> to your generation. Uh, and Tess Brigham, she continues to state that the most common concern, and actually the singular concern which is behind all of these concerns and stresses is this. I have too many choices, and I can't decide what to do. What if I make the wrong choice? What if I study the wrong thing? What if I date the wrong person, marry the wrong person? What if I live in the wrong city, or I pick the wrong friend group, or the wrong roommate, or pick the wrong job? The conclusion of our self-proclaimed millennial therapist is that the chief problem is decision fatigue. Now, what makes decisions so stressful? Well, it's simple. Why are you, why are you afraid of the dark? It's because you don't know what's there. You don't know what lies in the dark. And with that, you do not know what lies behind your decisions. You do not know the result that is going to come. It is a mystery. And if it doesn't turn out well or doesn't turn out the way you think, it's your fault. And you have to bear the load of that decision. So if you look at the diagram above, it's a little hard to see. Um, we have two bars. There's a red bar, which is pretty long, and there's a blue bar, which is it's a little bit shorter than that. That red bar is your potential. As a late teen or someone in their early 20s going to a college like USC, you're at the highest potential of your life. There is so much before you and some of the decisions that you're going to make that will have a great impact on the rest of your life. Okay, now if you look at the blue bar, which is a little, it's a little smaller than the red bar, um, that, that's your life knowledge and experience. And that's terrifying that you are at the point in your life and you have the most potential and you know the least. It's no wonder why so many 20 year olds are stressed out. Stressed out. Okay, now if you look back at the diagram, something's going to happen here in a second. Yeah, so we noticed the, the red bar got a little smaller and the blue bar got a little bit bigger. Um, 
Why'd that happen? Well, I'll tell you, you got older. You're 30 now. Yeah. And that's, that's going to happen again when you, when you turn 40. Yeah, that potential is going to go down. Life experience is going to happen again when you're 50. Um, and then what do you guys think is going to happen when you get into your 60s? Yeah, it happens again. I'm, I'm not going to tell you what happens when you turn 70, though. That's, that's, you know, that's, a, that's another story. Um, okay, let's, let's look back at the diagram one more time. Okay, what's, what's that? That's weird. Whoa, someone, someone said it. That is God. He has the ultimate, the complete potential. He has the ultimate and the complete knowledge and life experience. I mean, after all, this is what happens near the, the creator of life, when you speak things into existence. So what makes decision-making so difficult is when we have to bear the load of all of our decisions. You know, we can work as hard as we want. We can plan as hard as we want. But ultimately, we don't know what's going to come. It is like the dark. It is a mystery. Proverbs tells us that in the hearts of humans, they plan their course. But the Lord establishes their steps. That's Proverbs 16.9. So we can plan all that we want. But it is the Lord who will establish our steps. So should we not be seeking to take advantage of the Lord of his wisdom and his thoughts. After all, look at his potential and his knowledge and his experience. And we happen to be in luck because the truth is is that God loves us, that he wants us to share his knowledge, his life experience, his potential. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that for we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. For us to do. Now, what strikes me about this is in advance, God has prepared something for us to do, for each and every one of us to do. God has prepared something specific for you to do. You're not the same as the person next to you. You have a unique background, you have unique skills, unique abilities, passions, talents, and resources, and this is by no accident. Because God has something specific that you were made to do, and I don't want you to miss it. God has specific things for you to do, and God does not want you to miss it. But we will not get there if you do not take advantage of his potential, his knowledge, and his experience. Okay, so if you look back at this diagram one more time, in comparison to God, we have little knowledge and little experience. And even in our old age... It is still little in comparison to God. Those are supposed to go off the, or they're going off the screen, but you can't tell it's black because the background's black. Those are going off the screen. Um, uh, And so what happens when we trust ourselves to make all of our own decisions is that the outcome, uh, that we bear the weight of the outcome, we bear the weight of the consequences in that decision. And that's what makes it so stressful. But if we align our decisions, if we align our desires with what God wants, he bears the burden of our decisions. And we can trust him that with the results he will bring from doing what he has made us to do, what he has told us to do, um, that things will go as he has designed and as he intends. And luckily for us, God, he's much stronger than we are, and so he can bear a lot more weight than we can. 
So our response to God for who he is and what he has done in light of our decision-making is to align our decisions with his will. Our response to God is to align our decisions with his will. Because you don't want to bear the weight of life all on your own. God has specific things for you that he has created you to do, and God does not want you to miss them. We're replacing our own desires and our own decisions with God's decisions. Seeking God's will above our own, that's easier said than done. And so we're going to spend some time looking today at how we think about our decisions and how we make our decisions. And hopefully as we learn about decision-making, this will allow us to choose God's will over our own will. So to grow an understanding of decision-making, we're going to spend some time in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. It reads, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We'll start with look carefully at how you walk. Now, when we look at how we walk in light of responding to God for who he is and what he's done through our decision-making, it's easy to confine all of those decisions into our spiritual things. You know, we have, we have our, our spiritual decisions and the spiritual things we do, and then over here we have everything else, and we're going to keep those separate, you know. And we can begin to make spiritual decisions like, oh, I'm going to spend my Tuesday nights from 7.30 to 9 at Life Group, and I'm going to put that in my spiritual box. You know, you're here at Challenge tonight. Challenge in the spiritual box as well. Church goes in the spiritual box. You may begin to think, okay, I, sh- I should be spending maybe 20 minutes every morning in the Bible. I'm going to put that in my, not my, not my spiritual box. It's getting overlit. I get a bigger box. I got a bigger box. What time of the word is going in there? You know, you probably think, I, sh- I should start praying. You know, I'm, I'm going to pray five, ten minutes before bed every night. I'm going to pray before meals. Maybe pray as I walk to class. I don't know. So sprinkling prayer into my box, you know. You may even start meeting up with another student, weekly, another Christian, to have an intentional conversation, to keep one another accountable, to encourage each other. Now we're going to put that in the spiritual box. Now this is, our spiritual box is getting, it's getting large, it's getting very full, we're going to close it, we're going to put some wrapping paper on it in a bow, and we're going to lift it up and say, okay God, here you go. Here's my spiritual box. What do you think he's going to say? I think he's going to say, keep it. I think he's going to say, I don't want that. Why would he say that? Well, he may expand a little bit and say, you know, when I stepped down from my heavenly throne, when I stepped down from being at the right hand of the Father and came down to earth to be a penniless servant of mankind, to live a life without sin, to sacrifice um, myself by being tortured to death for mankind, do you think I was dying for that box? God does not just want the things in our lives that we consider spiritual. God wants our entire life. And with that, God wants all of our decisions. Because he died for all of our decisions. He does not want just our spiritual decisions, but all of them. And that is why we get verses that tell us plain and clear, like 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
that wasn't clear enough, we have Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Whatever I eat or drink, how can my eating and drinking be for the glory of God? He goes on to say, whatever I do, do it in the name of the Lord. You know, we, we, we just learned that, you know, God, he wants all of our decisions because he died for all of our decisions. But why does he think this is so important? God thinks all of our decisions are so important because he understands that every decision we make, no matter how big or how small, is teaching or training us to think, act, and respond in a specific way. Every decision we make, no matter how big or small, is teaching us uh, to think, act, and respond in a specific way. So, you know, we just read a verse about eating, so let's, let's start there. You know, you're, you're, you're young, you have a fast metabolism, and, um, well, not you, sorry, the, the, the person next to you, and the person next to you, you know, they may tend to eat whatever they want, you know, they don't really take into, into consideration, um, you know, their long-term health, and whatever dessert is placed in front of them, they're like, no, I'll have some, not a problem, you know, fifth slice of pizza, I'm fine, no, sixth slice of pizza, okay, sure, so after all, it's fine, you know, you have a, you have a fast metabolism, how are you training yourself to think when you do that? Now you're teaching yourself that your immediate desires are more important than your long-term needs. And you're building up a muscle memory that when you have an immediate desire, you should give into it. Okay, maybe eating is not your thing. Um, who, who has a car in Los Angeles? Anybody have a car? Okay, who here has um, been cut off by somebody while driving Los Angeles? Okay, everybody with a car. Okay, um, yeah, that's the, it's so annoying. You're there minding your own business. Somebody just comes and cuts you off. Um, and how do we respond? Normally by losing our patience. You know, we start to yell at them. You know, we may even pull off into the next lane, speed up a ton, cut them off and return. You know, I was, I was driving one day and I saw this dude. He was, he was flying down the shoulder. It was bumper to bumper traffic. And he's, he's like, he's not just like, I'm cruising. He's like 60 miles an hour down the shoulder. And this dude, he just, we saw this guy in his rearview mirror. He just, he just pulled off and parked. And, and, and cut him off, and he had to, it was almost a wreck. He had to slam his brakes. And part of me was like, oh, yeah, let's go. But, um, <laughs> but when you think about it, when, when we respond to the person who cuts us off by driving in the side lane, speeding up and cutting him off in return, how are we training ourselves to think? We're training ourselves to think, you know, when, when someone disrespects me, I have the right to disrespect them back. We're teaching ourselves to think, you know, when I'm upset, I have the right to dishonor the people around me. Because it's fine. They deserve it. You know, it's not limited to these things. We could, you know, talk about the repercussions of clicking snooze on your alarm every morning, of spending hours a day playing video games or watching Netflix, of procrastinating on your homework, of talking about someone behind their back, of taking the shortcuts when your boss or professor is not looking. And these are small choices, but they're going to compound over time. And they will have a collective impact on who you are becoming. And who you are becoming is going to prepare you for your big life decisions. Now, these examples, they seem small. And they can actually seem insignificant. But if we just talk about those two, these two examples, if we just talk about these two mindsets... If you were to build these mindsets into your life that your immediate desires are more important than your long-term needs, 
and that whenever you're upset, you have the right to dishonor others. How's your spouse going to feel about that? I'll let you know, it shouldn't be much of a problem because you won't have one for long. Um, how are your children going to feel about that? How about your client, your business partner, your neighbor, your parents, your friends? I can go on. If we're going to seek God's will above our own will, if we're going to seek the freedom that comes from trusting him with our decisions, we are going to have to look carefully at how we walk. We're going to have to look at all of our decisions, big and small, because God died for all of our decisions. And we need to understand, as God understands, that every decision we make, no matter how big or small, is teaching or training us to think, act, and respond in a specific way. So now we've, we've looked at, you know, walking carefully. Um, so now we need to walk not as unwise, but as wise. Since we see that all of our decisions are important and that they're affecting who we are becoming, um, we should look at how we're making these decisions. And I think there is a pattern of this world that is, there are many patterns of this world, in fact, that are pressuring us to make decisions in ways that are unwise. So how many of you have had someone give you the advice to just follow your heart? Yeah, right? And what's wrong with that? That sounds so nice. You know, like whatever I feel is the best, that's what I should do. Like that's, that just sounds nice. But there's a problem with that. And that's that our hearts are inconsistent. Our hearts are filled with both good things as well as bad things. And our feelings and our emotions are often very difficult to control and affected highly by our circumstances. You know, how often does your heart feel like taking the easy way out instead of doing the right or wise thing to do? What convinces you to go out and study and have, I mean, go out and have a fun evening with your friends when you should be studying for a midterm the next day? What causes you to be passive and aggressive, or passive aggressive to your roommates who do not clean up after themselves? What causes you to lose your patience with a close friend and break a friendship? Boys, what causes you to lie and take advantage of a girl? What breaks marriages? Your heart. Jeremiah tells us very clearly in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond here. Who can understand it? And if you think about this for long enough, you know, this, this makes sense. But in the moment, it's so hard to grasp. And why is this so hard to grasp? Well, you're deceived <laughs> because the heart is deceitful above all things. And the heart deceives us because the heart seeks good things, but often in perverted ways. You know, when you hang out with your friends instead of study, you're probably seeking rest and energy or encouragement. And those are all good things. Those are, some of those things are things God has commanded you to have. You know, when you cheat on a girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse, 
you're probably seeking sexual or relational and relational intimacy. And God created both of those things, and they are good things. But when you seek a good thing in the way that it was not designed, you pervert them and they become a harmful thing. Harmful to you, harmful to others, harmful to your future and to who you are becoming. But in the moment, your heart doesn't see those harmful things. Your heart sees the good things. And that is how you are deceived. Proverbs 16, 25 tells us that there is a a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Mark continues that thought with, out of a person's heart, the evil thoughts come. That evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. All of these things come from your heart. And these sound awful, right? Like, I, don't, I look at that list and I go, I don't, that's like, that doesn't sound like <laughs> any decision I'd want to make. But when your heart leads you to do these things, you will not be thinking about these things. You'll be thinking about the good thing that you're trying to get behind them. The world is telling us to follow our heart. You can watch every other show or documentary on Netflix, and that is exactly what you're going to learn. Follow your heart. But you're to walk not as unwise, but as wise. Your heart, time and time again, will keep you bearing the burdens of your decisions. And it will keep you from choosing to trust God and align your decisions with his decisions. And give, and will prevent you from giving the burden of your decisions to him. So we are to not walk not as unwise, but as wise. And Paul continues back in Ephesians 5, that we are to make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. God wants us to make the best use of the time, not just an okay use of the time, not just a fine use of the time, but how often do we justify our decisions with, oh, it's fine. It's fine, I'll run this red light. It's LA after all, everybody does it. It's fine, I can sleep through my class this morning. I'm, I'm ahead of everybody else. It's fine is one of the easiest mentalities for us to slip into. But, but let's take a second and look at what is actually going on when we tell ourselves, it's fine. So let's say we have a decision to make, and that decision is going to be represented by a diagram. And on this diagram, on one side we have God, and on the other side we have the devil. We're going to be very dramatic. Um, you have God and the devil, and everything, every point on the screen represents a different decision. Now once we do this, we like to try and draw a line right in the middle. And on one side of this line, we have sin. On the other side of the line, we have not sin. <laughs> because what happens is normally... We listen to whatever decision our heart wants to make, and we go, okay, but, but is it a sin? Why did we ask that question? Well, the typical motivation behind it is that we want to get all of the benefits of sin 
without reaping the repercussions of sin. And so we try and move ourselves from God to as close to this line as possible. Now, what happens when you move from God closer to that line? Are you moving toward God or away from God? You are moving away from God. And a life of worship, or who, who can tell me here in the audience what a life of worship is? This, this one statement we've been talking about for the whole semester. Anybody want to read it? I'm going to wait for someone. So I've got to flip back to like, oh, like a week, last week or whatever, then go ahead. Audrey, thank you. Worship is our response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the correct one. A life of worship is our response to God. And if we are living a life of worship, then we don't need to even define where that line is. Because living a life of worship, you're not going to try and get close to that line. You're going to try and run from that line. You're going to try and get as close to God as you possibly can. When we justify our decisions with it's fine, we are leading ourselves away from God. We ought not to settle for its fine, but for the best. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. You know, you can waste money and then just go and earn some back. But if you lose time, you will never gain it back. And that is why the days are evil. Okay, now let's go back to the beginning. Back to our diagram, looking at our potential, and our life experience and knowledge in our 20s versus God's. We have an extraordinary opportunity in front of us. We have a God that loves us. We have a God with infinite potential and knowledge and experience. And he wants us to use it. And God has specific plans for each and every one of us. He has laid out before you good works for you to do that you were designed specifically to do, that you were created to do. And God does not want you to miss any of them. So are we going to depend on ourselves to make these decisions and bear the weight of our decisions? Or are we going to walk in the freedom of letting God take on the burden of our decisions? When we walk in the joy that knows that if we seek his kingdom, his righteousness, all of these things will be given to us as well. Our response to God for who he is and what he has done is to align our decisions with his will. Our response to God is to align our decisions with his will and experience the joy and fulfillment that come from that. So if we're going to look back at this Ephesians verse one last time, um, look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We've talked so much about the importance of decision making and how we can look at these things and the ways that our heart fools us and how we can justify not seeking the best use of our time. But 
If you do not know what the will of the Lord is, we're going to have a really hard time making our decisions in line with his will. And we just talked about, you know, like looking carefully at how we walk, understanding that every decision we make, big and small, is teaching and training us to think, act, and respond in a specific way, you know, to not walk as unwise but as wise, remembering that our hearts are deceitful and that they convince us that they know what's best. And then we have to remember to make the best use of the time because the days are evil and that it's fine is not fine. But when it comes to understanding what God's will is, there's a couple things I'd like to encourage you guys to do to know what his will is. And the first is I'd like to encourage you to spend daily time with him, to get to know him. And to looking at how he would have you act in every situation. What decisions would he have you make? And like my college application, college application process, find out what we ought to be prioritizing. But scripture, you know, it's, it's, it's really long and it's hard to understand and it's complicated. And so I'd like to encourage you guys to talk to somebody who is wiser than you. Someone who is further down the line than you. And not just ask them, you know, or not... Not just tell them what situation you're in. Not just tell them, this is what I want to do, or this is what I'm thinking about doing. But ask them, what would you do? Ask them specifically, what do you think I should do? And I'm not, I'm not saying ask your roommate who's just as young as you and who's going to tell you and affirm exactly what your heart wants to do. Somebody who is further along than you. Someone who is wiser than you. When you ask them what to do, I'd encourage you to prepare yourself to hear what you don't want to hear. So those are my two encouragements for you in knowing God's will is to spend time with him and to spend time around those who are wiser than you. So God has so much for us, and he does not want us to miss any of it. He wants us to experience the peace and fulfillment that come from trusting him with our decisions. And so I'll close this again with our response to God is to align our decisions with his will. Do not miss what God has in store for you. With that, I'll close this in prayer, and I'd like to invite the band up to close this in worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you died for us. God, we thank you so much that despite how we have turned away from you, that you love us so much, and you've, you've pursued us continually. God, we thank you for your word and the people who are wiser than us that you've placed in our lives, and God, we thank you that we can seek them for our decisions. So God, I pray that you would, uh, you would place your will upon our hearts and you would give us the desire to seek your will above our own. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.